Good evening. This is Quintus Curtius, and we're back here with the podcast. It's been a few weeks since I've done a podcast, maybe even about a month or so. I can't remember exactly, but I like to stay off the mic unless I have something to say. There's a need for a lot less talk in the world. So that was my operative principle here, but I do have something to say now. I just finished a book recently, a few days ago, a very good book. Uh, It's called uh, The Black Russian by uh, Vladimir Alexandrov. And it's a very interesting biography. It's a biography of a black American businessman who, um, in the early 20th century, he spent many years in Europe, uh, France, and then, um, uh, well, first, I think, England, and then France, and then he emigrated to Tsarist Russia in the years before the revolution. And he became a very, very successful restaurateur, nightclub owner, entertainer, and made uh, a huge fortune for himself, uh, became a Russian citizen. But then things started to go badly. Uh, he, the, the Russian Revolution intervened, the Bolsheviks took power, and then things went downhill from there. So we'll talk about his life and some of the conclusions that we can draw from his life, because his, law, his life saw uh, extreme highs and extreme lows. And so it's very illustrative of some of the principles that we've talked about here in the past about the the favorable qualities of fortune and also the rapidity with which fortune's favor can be withdrawn. And these are things that we should be constantly reflecting on because here we like to study the lives of great men and we like to try to learn what we can from them. And that's what we're going to do here in this podcast. And I'll post a link uh, on my site when I post this uh, this podcast. I'll post a link to the book on Amazon. So if anyone wants to acquire it, they can uh, they can very very easily do that. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about this gentleman. His name again is uh, uh, Frederick Bruce Thomas. And um, you know uh, he came from a very interesting background. About his uh, about his many obstacles as uh, in his background as one can imagine you know he grew up he, he his his parents were uh well he his family was from the mississippi delta and the book makes it clear that this was pretty much the most you know southern southern place in the country and he was born in 1872 to former slaves in mississippi and i guess the county they were from was uh coahoma c-o-a-h-o-m-a and so, uh, well, from the first, you know, this this uh, gentleman had some very interesting qualities. You know, his uh, what was very unusual for his family in those days was they happened to be very wealthy. They, they happened to be very land rich. His parents had acquired a uh, a two hundred acre farm in eighteen sixty nine, and that was a, a very the author makes it clear that was a very rare thing in those days for former slaves to have that much land especially in the Mississippi Delta. So somehow, I forget exactly how they came into it, or they bought it, or I'm not not sure exactly how. I I suppose I could look it up, but they acquired it. Um, But, uh, you know, they were were generous. His parents donated, I guess, in 1879, some land to establish one of the first African Methodist Episcopal churches. And... um, but, you know, they were beset by troubles, just like anyone would be. In 1866, there was a, a wealthy white landowner who uh, 
tried to cheat them out of their land through a complicated scheme. And the Thomases fought back in court, which was uh, not something that normally happened. These were intelligent people. They knew how to how to fight. And they actually won. They fought back in court. They, they sued to recover their land. Um, but the, the, other, the other party who lost appealed it to the Mississippi Supreme Court in 1890. And I think basically by that time they realized that uh, long drawn out litigation, they just didn't have the energy or the money or they, they would have been somehow hounded, hounded out of town one way or another. So they, they moved to Memphis. And this is where tragedy struck uh, Frederick Thomas's family. His father was, this is awful. I mean, his father uh, was a, a, um, a landlord and I guess he took on a, a couple tenants, uh, some tenants, and one of whom was basically a, a psychopath. And he got into some spats with this guy. And uh, eventually this man murdered him. I guess he came into his room at night with a with an at, with a, a hatchet and just uh, uh, murdered him in his sleep. Terrible, terrible story. So the, the man was gunned down by police, I guess, trying to leave town, trying to escape town. So obviously this, the, like a lot of, travelers and a lot of adventurers that you know we've we've and we've explored the lives of many adventurers and travelers in articles on our site here at fortress of the mind in the past and i see thomas as fitting into that mold of the uh of the the traveler and adventurer the explorer and one of the things that we've noticed and commented about in the past is that a lot of these explorers and travelers they 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 have they have baggage in their past they've had some trauma they've had some bad experiences and and clearly having your father br brutally murdered uh you know in um uh, you know in in Memphis and before that being having your family cheated out of land uh, that's the type of thing that can leave a very very bad taste in someone's mouth so understandably Mr. Thomas decided to seek greener pastures, and apparently he was given the idea to, to, um, to leave by, I guess, uh, friends he had or uh, I think teachers that he came into contact with. He first went to Chicago, then Brooklyn, New York, uh, but finally he left, left for Europe in 1894. 1894, he left for Europe. And he kind of bounced around the continent. And I guess he it's clear uh, Frederick Thomas had some skills, uh, some very, very good skills, but personal social skills. Uh, he knew how to charm people. He knew how to size people up. He was very good at uh, providing, uh, you know, waiting, valet services, waiter services. And um, those skills were in high demand. I think they were then, and I think they still are now. If you know how to cater to people, and it is a skill, if you know how to make people feel comfortable and you know how to make them feel like um, they need you, then you're going to do very, very well. So he, he, he knew how to, he slowly built up his fortune. He set aside his savings. He married uh, a German woman at some point. And at some point he decided to go to, um, uh, he, he I guess he had, he had uh, ingratiated himself with some Russian nobleman, and eventually he left for Moscow. And uh, then he he found, you know, he found himself a novelty really in in many parts of Europe and also Russia. As an American black man, it's clear that uh, he was a, a novelty. And in life, you have to use the advantages you have. And if, if you're somewhere where you're in high demand, then you need to um, make use of those skills. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's certainly something that everyone uh, does or should do.
but he 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 was more than that. He was he was not just a a um, he was not just an interesting a novelty or a, or an interesting face. He also had some very very astute business uh, talents here, and it's it's clear from the biography that he did. Uh, he's basically to make a long story short, he set up uh, some uh, some uh, entertainment gardens, one called Aquarium. Um, you know, another one, a, re a restaurant called Yar, Y-A-R. And these places catered to the uh, the very, very uh, wealthy uh, class of, of citizens, citizens in Moscow. And then as now, wealthy people like to entertain themselves. They like to spend money when they go out. And if you can position yourself to be at that place, you can do very, very well for yourself. And clearly, if you if you have a stomach for risk, because the uh, the hospitality industry is risky, you know, it's it's boom or bust. Uh, some some places make it, some places do not. Um, so in 1912, Thomas reinvested his profits. Well, he he basically uh, you know came into a variety theater that he called a Maxim, and it became a favorite of the the uh, the uh, hip crowd. In, in Moscow. Now, when war broke out in 1914, this is where things, you know, eventually, so bottom line is in Russia, Frederick Thomas made himself uh, a fortune. He had everything that a man could want. He had a successful business. He had money. He had a, a wife. He had probably mistresses. He had a family. He had children. He had everything a man could want. And yet, and yet somehow, as we've said before, the universe always has a way of finding you, of honing in on you, seeking you out and say, ah, there you are. I know where you've been hiding. And now I'm going to teach you a little bit about suffering. I'm going to teach you a little bit about what it's like to be on the other side of the tracks. And this is where things, and again, I'm going to let you be the judge of what, you know, sometimes it's not even really anyone's fault. It's not really the fault of the individual. Sometimes events can just conspire to undermine us. But where things started to get interesting was when war broke out, Frederick Thomas made the fateful decision to become a, a Russian citizen. He officially decided to, to become a citizen of the, um, the empire of Russia. Now, this is, a, this is a fateful decision, and it's not clear. The author, I think, either is not really, could not figure out the reasons why, or either does not want to discuss the reasons why. But it's clear, I think anyone that knows anything about working abroad knows, there would have been significant benefits probably for him uh, claiming Russian citizenship at a time of, of uh, heightened nationalism in Europe, at a time of... Um, at a time of, uh, you know, national war fervor, it probably would have been a very effective thing for him to do this. It probably would have been a very useful thing for him to do this, to shield himself from, from the scrutiny that foreigners naturally get. So it's understandable. And I'm, I'm also guessing that being a citizen of the country he had lived in for over, you know, a decade or so, or, you know, almost 15 years, uh, being a citizen of that country would have given him some advantages. Perhaps being a citizen, being a Russian citizen, would maybe give you a tax breaks, or maybe give you advantages on leases, or renting land, or owning property, or, or the, the, there would have been any number of uh, financial and practical reasons for him to do this. Okay, and that's fine. However, however, we always need to remind ourselves that nothing comes for free. That that taking that step opens you up to consequences. 
And when a person renounces his or her citizenship of one country and takes on the citizenship of another country, very often they don't know what they're giving up. Very often that decision can have very, very fateful consequences. And in uh, Frederick Thomas's case, that decision had very uh, dire consequences that he probably never uh, suspected. Now, the other, I think, thing that I think he probably could have could have done better uh, is he apparently never made any attempt to get any of his money out of Russia. He apparently kept it all there. I mean, he was fluent in French, probably. Uh, well, he was fluent in French and probably uh, had a rudimentary knowledge of German. Apparently was was competent in Russian or fluent in Russian. It's not really clear. I think he could speak functional Russian. I, I think you know, full literacy may have, may not have, uh, uh, he may not have had that. But regardless, he, he could, he could conduct himself, uh, take care of business in Russian. But he apparently never made any attempt to try to get his money out of the country or to try to put it in foreign bank accounts to shield him. Because frankly, uh, you know, the Russian empire was looking very, very rickety. Even before World War One. I, I think any prescient observer could tell or should have been able to tell that uh, the Russian Empire was on its last legs. Uh, it had been defeated by Japan seriously in 1905. It had been shattered, really, and there had been a revolution in the country. So that type of thing could have or should have alerted him to the fact that, you know, maybe my days here are going to be numbered. Maybe I should take steps to get the hell out of Dodge. But that never occurred to him. Again, it's easy for me to say this. I know in hindsight things always look... Uh, perfectly clear in hindsight. But my point is that if you are going to live abroad, you need to keep your pulse on events. You need to uh, be mindful of what's going on around you so that when the shit hits the fan, you can uh, not be left holding the bag. So so anyway, um, you know, he, um, he, he took on Russian citizenship and, you know, the author makes it clear again in, in the book that he had, that Frederick had, uh, Frederick Thomas had ulterior motives for taking on Russian citizenship. Um, before war broke out, he never really had a compelling reason to do that. But once war was declared, suddenly he discovered his love for Russia and uh, decided to take on citizenship. Probably, it was probably a, a practical decision to protect himself from unwanted uh, scrutiny there as a, as a foreigner. Now, there was another problem as well, and this would have fateful consequences later. Frederick Thomas concealed his uh, decision to renounce his American citizenship uh, from the American authorities. He never told anyone. And I'm reading right from the book here. This is on page uh, 114. He says, Frederick concealed from the American authorities that he had decided to become a Russian citizen. The Russian, I'm sorry, the Moscow Governor General's office and the Russian Imperial Ministry of the Interior did not inform the Americans either. As a result, neither the American Consulate General in Moscow, nor the Embassy in Petrograd, nor the State Department in Washington, Washington D.C. ever found out that Frederick Bruce Thomas had officially expatriated himself. This would have two remarkable consequences. Four years later in Odessa, during what were some of the most perilous days of his life, he would be able to save himself and his family by concealing that he had formally surrendered his American citizenship. And in 1931, three years after his death, his two youngest sons who were born in Russia would be recognized as Americans on the strength of their father's non-existent American citizenship at that time, and only because the State Department did not know that he had given up his American citizenship in Moscow. So, 
What does that mean? What that means is that you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. He decided to give up his American citizenship to become a Russian citizen, and that's fine. Everyone has a right to do what they want. But understand, that has consequences. And in his case, it would have fateful consequences for him. On the other hand, the fact that he concealed it from the American authorities actually helped his, um, his sons later. Um, it, it was um, it enabled in 1931 his sons to get American citizenship, which they never should have been able to do because his father had renounced his American citizenship. Um, and, um, you know, in Odessa, he was frankly able to uh, dodge the issue of, of renouncing his American citizenship by saying he lost all his paperwork. So the bottom line is... Um, you know, I bring this up only to point out the fact that you can't have it both ways. And it's true that, uh, you know, he was given a hard time uh, when he escaped to Turkey. But, you know, then again, you know, a lot of that was because he was also evasive and he was also not not being straight with the authorities either. And so some things he got benefits from and some things he did not get benefits from. So anyway, that was the situation. And he stayed in Moscow during the war years. And as everyone knows, in 1917, things went south in a big way in Russia. Uh, the Tsarist the, uh, the government collapsed. The government changed hands several times between the provisional government. And then the communists finally took power in 1918. And as a, as a wealthy uh bourgeois foreigner obviously he was a prime target of the the revolutionary government the bolshevik government so he along with everybody else who had any money had to get the hell out of dodge they had to flee and they had to flee with nothing but the clothes on their backs it's a very very it's a terrible story very very tragic story so he he made a fortune in moscow and had to abandon everything and he had to escape with his life and with the clothes on his back uh, uh, first he went to Odessa on the Black Sea and then from there made his way to Turkey to Constantinople uh, and obviously that was not really an ideal place to be either at that time because Turkey was going through its own upheavals it had lost the war as a member of the Central Powers and it was in the process of undergoing its own internal revolutions now you know what does that mean well when when Frederick Thomas got to um, Constantinople, he presented himself to the American authorities, and he never told them that he had renounced his U.S. citizenship. And he tried to say that he was an American, uh, and frankly, he, he lied to them. He, he told them that he was an American, he wanted to get out of there, that he had business interests in Russia, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, you know, he but he didn't have, he didn't have the right paperwork. So the this, this guy there is uh, some 28-year-old consulate official, a guy named Alan. I forget what his first name is, Alan. Um, this guy looks like, you know, he had to fill out a passport application and an affidavit to explain protracted foreign residence abroad. And it's clear that this consulate, this official, this government official, didn't like Mr. Thomas. Um, I think he probably suspected he was evasive. He probably suspected that Thomas had, had, uh, had already renounced his U.S. citizenship. And uh, Thomas, uh, you know, filled out the applications with, you know, numerous omissions and evasions and just a lot of, uh, he didn't do himself any favors, okay? Um, 
you know, he told him that he was considering going, he had a financial interest in France. Uh, so the bottom line is, it's not clear exactly, you know, the interactions between these two, but clearly, clearly uh, the consulate did not trust Frederick Thomas. And I guess they set his application aside for like 14 months. They just buried it. And, um, you know, one could say, well, that was, you know, because of his own antagonism towards this guy. Or one could say because simply because, uh, you know, uh, Frederick Thomas was not being honest. It was probably a combination of, of both. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, here again, as a, as a reader, 100 years after the fact, you say to yourself, you know, the smart move at that point would have been for him just to go back to France. I mean, I'd, if, if he was a if he was a Russian citizen, why not just get why go to why stay in Turkey? You know, that seems to be one of the worst places to go. Uh, why not go to a developed Western country? And he already spoke French fluently, fluently. Uh, he had been successful in France in the past. Why? I mean, in the post-war years in France were actually quite prosperous once the 20s once the 1920s got rolling, and I think he probably could have done very well if he had just gone back to France, but for some reason he didn't. And again, one scratches one's head and, and says, you know, man, you know, you just made, you made a bad move here, man. Uh, instead of trying to go back to the U.S., where even if he had gone back to the U.S., the author makes it clear, he would have been, he, he would have not been able to enjoy the same standard of living that he would have had in, in Europe. You know, there were still a lot of um, exclusionary, you know, Jim Crow laws, um, you know, yeah, he he would have been subjected to to uh, you know institutionalized discrimination, uh, and it just doesn't seem like a a good move at that point. But again, then again, people have their own reasons why they do things, and he did what he did. But the bottom line is, uh, he he could not. You know, he could really he his his uh, request for an American passport was never approved. So he was kind of stuck in Turkey as, as a man without a country because, again, he, he couldn't really go back. Obviously, he couldn't go back to Russia, and he really didn't want anyone to acknowledge his Russian citizenship. So he kind of became a man without a, you know, a nation. But he still uh, did very well for himself in, in, um, in Turkey, at, at least at first. At first, you know, he took on a couple partners. He did well. He set up restaurants and nightclubs in, in Turkey. And the first few years of the post-war period in Turkey were not bad. You know, there was there was an appetite for uh, um, for foreign type of entertainment, for nightclubs that served alcohol with live shows, things like that. And he did very well. He he um, he got. Um, he got established. He was sort of recouping, recouping his uh, fortune. But then, you know, financial a combination of bad environment, competition, and just the political conditions just conspired against him. Number one, uh, other other nightclubs began to open up that had uh, were able to attract wealthier patrons that siphoned off his clients. Also, the political conditions in Turkey at that time were just not favorable for foreigners. There was a lot of xenophobia. There was a lot of nationalist sentiment. The authorities would find all sorts of excuses to shut you down and say you couldn't operate, you couldn't serve alcohol, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. It was just very, very difficult for a man, a foreigner especially, to make a living. So he had that strike against him. And also, you know, his creditors... 
became very aggressive, you know, whereas in the past he often was given time to pay debts, his creditors became very aggressive, uh, and they even started to contact the consulate and complain about him, which certainly did not endear him to the consular officials there. So things just got worse and worse for, for uh, Frederick Thomas. And, you know, you're, you read this and you just you know, feel really bad for this guy. It's like, man, it's just, you know, uh, the harder you work, it's like nothing, nothing just worked out for him at that point. And things only got worse. Uh, eventually, his creditors, caught, he just, he, at some point, he just lost all of his money. He did, no one would extend him credit anymore. His businesses began to shut down. He had to flee, essentially, uh, uh, Istanbul and go to um, another city. I think, I think it was um, Ankara or some other city. I can't remember. But his creditors actually tracked him down. And he was put in debtor's prison. I guess Turkey at that time still had a debtor's prison system. And, and he was clapped into jail. And he was, so, he was so impoverished, he couldn't even get out. You know, he literally had, had not two nickels to rub together at that time. Uh, so very, very tragic. And he died, uh, essentially, in, in, uh, in debtor's prison. And he was only in his early 50s. And what's even worse is that fact that uh, we don't even know the exact location of his grave. He was buried in a Catholic cemetery for foreigners. Uh, they know the grave, they, they know the, um, the cemetery where he is, but there's no headstone. No one could afford a headstone for him. So the precise location of his grave is just simply not known. And maybe that would be a project for some enterprising uh, historiographer in the future to actually find that grave and, and uh, give him some sort of headstone. But, um, you know, so that's, that's the story. I mean, his, his sons were able to uh, basically, uh, you know, they were able to um, use the fact that he had been born in the U.S. Uh, they, they, they were able to get U.S. citizenship basically by concealing the fact that their father had, had become a Russian citizen. Uh, no one looked at it too, too closely, so they were able to... to um, to get some benefits, and they, um, uh, his sons, uh, uh, had careers in Europe. I think one of them came back to the U.S., but one one became like a had a film career as a, a movie star, I think, or a film actor in Europe, I think, in France. But a very very interesting story, and I think the conclusions that we can draw from this, as a student of travelers and explorers, we can say that. You know, you've got to be aggressive in life. You've got to be enterprising. You've got to seek out new opportunities where you find them. But on the other hand, you can overthink things. You can get too cute. Uh, and don't ever get too cute, you know. And, and I think the, the lesson that I learned is don't ever take your citizenship lightly, you know. Don't ever do anything to renounce your citizenship. You know, there, there are people that have these uh, ideas, you know, you can get a foreign passport and you can do this and you can do that, you know. I'm not so sure that's a, even if even if you can do something, uh, you know, it's debatable whether you should do something like that because taking on foreign passports, uh, well, for renouncing your the citizenship of the country of your birth, I think is just a mistake unless there's some extreme good reason to do that. I, I think that's always a bad move, uh, and if you do do it, you know, you better damn well know what the consequences are going to be. But even even something like taking on a second passport, you know, I, I just don't think I know it's there's some people, you know, you're eligible for dual citizenship in some places. I don't you know, I I know people that have done that. Um, 
it's not something I would ever do. I just don't think, I, first, I, I just don't know, really know how much it's worth if it really does anything, if it's useful. Now, of course, there are going to be people that hear this and say, oh, no, it's a great thing and I do it all the time. And okay, fine, whatever, that's fine. Good for you. Good for you. For me, that's not for me. I think, you know, uh, you know, you got you got one home, you got one country, you got one home, and that's where you stake your claim. That's where you, that's where you ground your flag. That's where you plant your seed. That's where you do your thing. And um, unless there's some damn good reason to, to to deviate from that that plan, that course of action, I, I think that's the right one to do, right course of action to choose. Um. Again, other people may think differently. It's just my opinion, and uh, I, I think, uh, but, I, but I think far too many, far too few people really understand the implications of giving up your citizenship or of taking on other nationalities. And uh, that's just my thoughts. But anyway, it's a good book. It's uh, should be read by any student of uh, student of travel or exploration. Very motivating story. And but there's good things too here. I think you learn that in life you have to use your advantages, and I think the sky's the limit if you really take use, make use of your advantages. There's nothing you should travel. People should travel. You should spend time abroad. You should uh, spend uh, time abroad. Uh, you know, as as often as you can in foreign countries. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but uh, you know, always keep yourself grounded. Never go too native. Never go too native. I think is the uh, is one of the lessons here to, to remember. So anyway, my thoughts, if you have different thoughts, feel free to share them. And until next time, this is Quintus Curtius. Good night.